0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast
1: week one of the NFL season is in the books and that means it's time to break it all down figure out what we saw and figure out what it means for the rest of the NFL season still ahead of us Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio the ESPN app SiriusXM channel 80 presented by progressive insurance Sarah Spain Jason Fitz hanging out and uh, we're going to have our next guest on with us on Tuesdays during the NFL season. And, you know, Sarah, I'm just going to call this like a, a writer's roundtable because, you know, like you're oh, a writer, right. he's a writer, yeah, and now I'm about officially a writer. Now. I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is so like this is now a highbrow conversation. I'm going to bring a different level of professionalism to all of this. Mm-hmm. I don't, I yeah, don't know just to like get this. past
2: this and get on to the good stuff, Fitz wrote an article for .com, guys, and it was really good, and it was about bets and what went right and what went wrong and how many buckets of tears you were feeling about the bad beats and everyone should read it.
1: Thank you very much. It'll be out there every Tuesday. So you know what? Here we go. This is this is this is my new world. Bill Barnwell is the ESPN NFL writer. He's actually a professional at what he does. Uh, he joins us now, and uh, you can also check out the Bill bon- Bill Barnwell show wherever you get your podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Bill Barnwell. Bill, why do you hate my beloved Raiders? That's just really where we're going to start this thing. Why? Why? Why do you do this to every week? I look and you see. There's just something there where you're not buying in. What? What's going on?
0: it's first you come from my job as a writer i, I don't host radio shows on espn radio when i'm not on with you guys i respect that you're good at what you do i'm good at what i do the two things don't cross but if we're gonna do that i will take a shot at the las vegas raiders But wow. because everything we expected about the raiders heading into the season bore its head good and bad in that week one game against the chargers devontae adams was awesome when that passing game was going it looked unstoppable but the offensive line couldn't protect Derek Carr, who was strip sacked on consecutive plays when they were trying to go for that game-winning drive secondary got beat up by justin herbert who had a great game especially in the first half when he was nearly perfect and as good as their pass rush is hoping to be with max crosby and chandler jones zero sacks for the las vegas raiders in Week 1. So not a must-win in Week 2 against the Cardinals, but for two teams who play very tough schedules early in the season, I think this is pretty close to a must-win, at least as far as Week 2 games go.
2: Bill, I tweeted this, but I just have to say, your season opening podcasts with Pablo were even more of a delight than you usually produced with him. <laughs> I love your pairing, <laughs> but they were so good, and they're still relevant, so if you haven't listened to them yet, I really encourage people to go to the two-part Bill Barnwell season preview. The banter was peak. It, it doesn't get better than that. It was so good. Um, I want to ask you to try to crawl into the mind of Jerry Jones. And I apologize for that request, but it's required for my next question. I'm of the opinion that Jarrah is looking at this team and saying, hey, we aren't that good. I don't know why they didn't spend in the mm-hmm. offseason. I don't know why they set this team up for the failure that we expect from them. But now with Dak out, it's even uglier. And I get the impression that he's crossing his fingers and toes that Dak will return earlier in part because he doesn't want to put him on IR and then not have an answer to that because that answer would Mm -hmm. require draft picks or money. And he doesn't want to spend that knowing that this team ain't going anywhere. Do you buy that? Or do you see another reason why he would tell us that this is going to be a faster return and he doesn't need to go on IR?
0: I agree with you 100%. I'll be honest with you. I think that, You know, Jerry Jones has the money. It's not like he's broke by any means when it comes to needing to spend the money. But they were very conservative this offseason. I think they're like 28th in terms of cash spend this offseason. That's partly because they wanted to kind of restructure their cap. They wanted to kind of take it a step backwards. And you see what happened with with their cap. Usually they extend and they restructure those contracts at the very top to try and create short-term cap space. They didn't do that with Zeke and they didn't do that with Tyron Smith, both of whom are coming up to free agency because they want to get rid of those guys after this season. I think that is the only realistic explanation for why they didn't do that, create that short-term cap space, and then go out and sign replacements. Well, one of the places they tried to cut back was backup quarterback and Cooper Rush might be a nice guy, might end up being good, but we haven't seen him play much yet but does not have the pedigree of a significant backup quarterback. So just like maybe 2020, when they lost Dak to an injury, Andy Dalton came in, he wasn't really all that good. And they kind of said, ah, oh, well, we're not going to win anyway. I think that's what they're kind of getting to is maybe they think, okay, we're going to win with our running game, with our defense, which played pretty well, all things considered on Sunday night. And maybe we get Dak back in four weeks, probably more in six to eight weeks, but maybe that's enough. And I think, from Jerry's perspective, given the flaws they've shown on week one, given the flaws they have on their roster hitting into the season, I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender, even if Dak was healthy for all 17 games.
1: We're talking to Bill Barnwell, ESPN NFL writer on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, your column this week talked about contenders that should be worried about their performances on Sunday. And as much as I made jokes about it, you did have one team in there that won. That was the Steelers. Why mm-hmm. are you including them on this list even after a win?
0: Okay. So Steelers had five takeaways of the Bengals on Sunday. They didn't turn the ball over themselves. When you, turn the, when you force five takeaways of a plus-five turnover margin, you should be blowing teams out. Mm-hmm, the average mm-hmm. win over the past 20 years when a team has a plus-five turnover margin is by more than 20 points. The Steelers needed five takeaways. They needed a blocked extra point. They needed a missed field goal because the long snapper was hurt, all to win that game by three points in overtime. Everything had to go right, and then on top of that, they just narrowly won. And I think that tells you how bad their offense is right now. They scored 13 points on offense – sorry, 16 points on 13 possessions. They couldn't move the ball when Mitchell Trubisky did have big plays. They were – like, you know, flea flickers and free plays. It wasn't like they were moving the ball steadily within the context of that offense. And on top of that, they just lost Najee Harris, who might play on Sunday, but really appears to be affected by the Liz Frank injury to his foot. So to me, they're not, realistically, on top of the T.J. J. Watt, whose future seems to be better than maybe they expected, but still gone for a while. This is a team that's not going to force a, a plus five turnover margin every week. And when they do, they're not going to look as good as they did on Sunday. So to me, I think, as good as the Steelers were, and as soon as it is to beat the defending AFC champs, I think there's not a lot of sustainability in the way they want.
2: Uh, that sounds just like Mitchell Trubisky in 2018 with the Bears. <laughs> Let that defense eat and try to do just enough to get the mm-hmm. W. Bill Barnwell is with mm-hmm. us on Spain and Fitz, host of the Bill Barnwell Show, wherever you get your podcast, You can follow him at Bill Barnwell. Let's talk about one of the teams that you got in your top ten Uh, despite the losing record, there's a couple of them, but the, the Packers, I think we, we have proof of concept from last year that they can get blown out in week one and return next week. And and also we knew that there was going to be a waiting period in terms of the uh, gelling with the receivers, but the Bengals, the part of the team that they were supposed to shore up this off season that they spent on was an offensive line that did not look good. And then you've got maybe Mm -hmm. Joe Burrow, who just because of the appendicitis and whatever else was a little slow um, is is there something that you saw in a very ugly game from them that has you thinking that they're going to be fine?
0: I think they're going to be okay. I mean, the offense still moved the ball when they weren't turning the ball over four times or five times, which we know that's not going to happen. There's two extremes here during that seven game run to the Super Bowl last year at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs, they turned the ball over twice in seven games. That's not going to happen again, but they're also not going to turn the ball over five times a week. We know that, that that's two incredible extremes, but with Joe Burrow, with that offensive line, like you said, yes, they did invest in that line this offseason, and yes, they are better. But there is a big difference between better and good, and that is my concern for the Bengals right now. It's sort of like the Patriots receivers last year, where, yeah, you add Kendrick Bourne, who's pretty solid. You got and add Hunter Henry, who's a good tight end. Johnny Smith is a solid tight end. They were still sitting there at the end of the season saying, we don't have enough. We still have to yeah. add more next offseason, but we also just spent all the money we had on the pieces we got to make us okay. And I think that's where the Bengals are right now in terms of they've added pieces, but they still have holes on the left side. Jonah Williams struggled yesterday. Um, they have a competition at left guard where both options seem pretty mediocre. Um, they of course blew the protection on the extra point, which would have won them the game. So, to me, I think they're better than they were a year ago, but it's just a moment there's a point where I can sit here and feel confident that they're going to protect Joe Burrow. And oh, by the way, quarterbacks are not just on the sacks are not just on the offensive line they're also on the quarterback and joe burrow holds on to the ball more than most quarterbacks. It's not a problem you take the trade off of the, the benefits with joe burrow for some of those weaknesses but that is going to be a problem he's going to take more hits even behind a good offensive line so for me i think it's a combination of things they're going to be fine this year they're going to be a solid team but i think that formula that they ran to the super bowl with kind of got exposed a little bit by that five turnover game against the steelers
1: Bill, you are one of the most measured, intelligent writers we have when it comes Mm -hmm. to covering the NFL. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something you don't usually do. And you don't have to take it, but this is your (laughs) get-out-of-jail-free card with absolutely no recourse or consequence for what you're about to say. Do you have a wild hot take after one week of the NFL season that you just want to get off your chest? No consequence. I won't hold it against you.
0: Ooh, that's a good point. I, I, what is my hot take about week one of the NFL season? Okay, here's what, here's what I'll say. Maybe this is not that hot. Maybe you guys agree with me. I think the Bills and the Chiefs are comfortably the best teams in football. I don't think anyone else is on their level.
1: Look at that. Mm. See? We're, we're getting the hot takes from Bill Barnwell. That's what's happening. Is that, is, there you go. Is that crazy?
2: No, No, I I wasn't hot at all, Fitz.
1: I I don't know. I think the Chargers belong in that same conversation, but that's mostly because they barely beat the Raiders, who we know are just a playoff-bound football Uh team. That's what I heard. Back to you again. the narcissism today. It's a a skill here, really. Follow him on Twitter, at Bill Barnwell. Bill, always appreciate your time, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. Have a glorious night, my friend. Thank you. I'll talk to you guys next week. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. If you're a renter, make sure you're protected. Renters insurance includes options that cover stolen property, personal injury, and living expenses if your place is damaged. Quote renters insurance at progressive.com. All right, we got coaches keeping receipts. We're going to react to it, and you're going to hear some of the best sound from the NFL coaching landscape next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And We had some sound that we were dying to play yesterday, but we didn't have time. We had so much Sunday NFL action to react to. But now that we've covered a lot of the X and O's on the field, it's time to get into some of what was said post-game. And there are some good ones this week. It's called Bite Me.
0: The play on the field isn't always the best.
2: Play action. Rodgers kept it.
1: Rolling to his left. Pressure coming. There he goes.
0: But after a long weekend, the sound bites always are. I think it was good for us to, for, for this to happen to us. You, know, you can't feel yourself in this league. You get, you get embarrassed. And they didn't shoot themselves in the foot. So that's what's going to happen when you do those things. It's time for Bite, Bite me, me on Spain and Fitz.
2: That's right, bite me, as in sound bites, although a couple of the folks in today's might be asking people or telling people to bite them because they're not so happy. But let's start with someone who was happy, Geno Smith. Seahawks quarterback, who not only got the win in Russ's return to Seattle, but here's a stat for you. In each of his last two starts, he's had 20 or more completions, five or fewer incompletions, multiple touchdowns, and no turnovers. No other quarterback in NFL history has done that in back-to-back starts since they were first tracked in 1950. I'm not saying anything about Geno's future. I'm just saying he's feeling pretty good, especially after getting his first win as a starter since 2016. Here's what he had to say about it with Lisa Salters after last night's game. You're telling me just another game, but I can see the emotion on your face. Did you hear the Geno chants? Oh, no, I love those fans, man. Thank you, Seattle. So for the folks you said had written you off, maybe, what do you say to them?
0: They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. That's the problem. I ain't right back. Let's go.
2: Oh, it's so good. That's like a movie that. line, Fitz. I,
1: the, the fact that he just said that off the fly was just amazing. And and frankly, he was so humble through that entire interview. I love that he took that last chance to, to really speak his speak. He deserved it after the way he played in that game. And, and if you're Geno Smith, you can be really proud of what you did on the field last night.
2: That's right. Absolutely no notes on that one. All right, moving on. Nathaniel Hackett. Oh, I forgot about that (laughs) magical, magical, creepy, weird sound. Nathaniel Hackett, head coach of the Broncos, trying to fumble his way through basically saying, whoops, should have gone for it on fourth and five. Looking back at it, we definitely should have gone
0: for it. One of those things, you look back at it and you say, of course we should go for it. We missed the field goal. But in that situation, we had a plan. I mean, we had a plan. We knew that the 46 was the mark. We were third and 15, I think, third and 13. I'm more upset about that play before it to lose yards. Getting that there would have definitely been better to be able to call that same play and get extra yards. But um, he dumps it out to Javante. Javante makes a move, goes a lot farther than I think we had anticipated. We were expecting to go for it on fourth down. And then you hit the mark. 46-yard line was where we wanted to be, and we got there. So we had to make the decision if we wanted to give it to Brandon, and we did. Didn't work. Sucks. But, hey, that's part
1: of it.
2: Fitz, I could have done without the equivocating and the explanation. I could have gone with just, hey, my bad. Should have gone Uh, for it. uh,
1: That's the craziest part. He said my bad, but not really my bad because here was all the logic on the my bad. Like, (laughs) no, I'm not buying any of that. That should just come out and say, guys, I was an idiot yesterday. Sorry about that one. Ended there.
2: Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on
0: me hey.
2: Yes, that's sound bites that we're biting you with. Mike Tomlin, uh, oh, he always gives the best weirdest specific cliches. He is the king of the useless sound montage on the Levitard Show for good reason. Here's what he said after week one.
0: You know, if if you got if you got ground to defend, defend it. Um you know, if you got bullets in the gun on the offense, you fire them. Um it's, it's gonna be a lot to to be downtrodden about in, in the game of football um, from an ebb and flow perspective. And more than anything, at the, at the early stages of this season, where you got new guys, you just want to know that they're in it, their game, um, that they, they don't shrink in the moments. And, and so that was just really good to be in some of the moments and see some of the things that we saw.
2: I mean, just so good. If you got bullets in the gun, you shoot them. It's just um, I I I want you to continue that line of thinking, Fitz.
1: If, if you got a car, you drive it. If somebody <laughs> offers you the Cinnamon Center Blizzard, you take it. Like I mean, th- there's just th- Mike you Tomlin pool, really speaking you go truth. For a
2: swim. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to my favorite, and by my favorite, I mean this is firing me up all day long. On the Michael K Show, ninety-eight ESPN New York. Here's the head coach of the Jets, Robert Sala.
0: Every year, every game, when you lose in this league, it's the apocalypse. It's Armageddon, um, and uh, people just want to jump off a bridge for some reason. Uh, we're in the instant coffee age, mm-hmm. and it's and it's deserved. That's that's part of the part of the generation we've grown up in. That's that's part of what comes with the job, and especially in this market where there's eight million people uh, crammed in the one corner of the United States, it's going to get. People are angry. There's there's no space space to breathe. But uh, at the same time, you know, we we ignore, we do our best to ignore the noise and keep the main thing the main thing, which is finding ways to produce. And, uh, And for all those people, just like I told our beat here about 15 minutes ago, for all those people who continue to talk and to continue to doubt, we're taking receipts. And I can't wait. And I'll speak for the entire organization to shove it down everyone's throat when it comes around.
2: Okay, uh, first off, instant coffee was invented in 1771. So we're not in the instant coffee era. No one's jumping off bridges. The reason everyone's so mad is because the Jets have sucked forever. The reason your receipts don't matter is because you've started your career as head coach with an absolutely abysmal stretch when all people need to see is just a little bit of progress. You are trying to tell us that we are wrong for using our eyes to see that your team sucks. You got 14 losses in your first 18 games as head coach. You are the black knight in Monty Python. You are mm. battling King Arthur, and he's saying to you, You stupid bastard, you've got no arms left. And you're trying to tell us it's a flesh wound. You suck. We're allowed to say you suck until you don't suck anymore and you don't get to say I'm keeping receipts. You get to say it's frustrating, we want to be better, take it easy on us, be patient, we're making progress. You don't get to talk smack, that's what I said, to Mm -hmm. us for using our eyeballs.
1: Uh, one thing that I think coaches and players, you know, they come into fresh situations and they may not care about the past, situations but for most of us that are lifelong fans, situations uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for lifelong fans, you know, you can't change the fact that you've watched your team stink year in and year out and year in and year out. It's exhausting. It's exhausting at some point. And if you're a fan, it's there like I am every Sunday sitting there. My entire week is changes depending on how the Raiders play that week. I know I'm a grown-ass man, and I shouldn't. It doesn't change that I do. So when they lose, I get upset about it. And when you watch that year in and year out, I'll never blame somebody for, for being angry about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're getting paid a whole ton of money to be one of the few people that gets to coach in the NFL. You're coaching a bad team. Things have been tough. Suck it up and tell people you're going to get better. That's it. It's a flesh food, It's a scratch. Come
0: on. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. The pressure is on tonight in the WNBA Finals. We'll get you updated on uh, what to expect for Game 2 in just a little bit as the Aces are going to be taking on Connecticut and Vegas. The crowd is funneling in. It looks packed. I wish I was there, Sarah.
2: I'm going to be honest. wish I was there. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I wish like my that. team was there. I'm going to uh, yeah, be no, honest.
1: That is fair. There is a, there, there's a star power to what's happening in Vegas that is uh, electric. So we'll keep you updated on that. But we're going to do something new tonight. We, uh, th- sometimes things come out that just uh, th- they get both of us a little fired up. So we're going to have a little fun with my last name and use that as a launching point to uh, get out there and get our, uh, get our opinions out the way only this show can. By okay, I'll
2: finally speak up. I'll finally uh, uh, say fair, how yeah, I really Sarah, feel.
1: I mean, usually we have nothing to say, so uh, it's time to throw a fit. Jason Fitz has something on his mind. They're stuck in mediocre irrelevance. And he needs to get it off his chest. I have a massive problem with the same coaches that get paid and have unlimited cash available to their staffs. Talking about equality in college football is the reason that young college football players can't be paid.
0: It's time for Throwing a Fitz on Spain and Fitz.
1: Sometimes stories come out and you read it 10 times because you're trying to figure out if it's real and if it's happening right now. And that's the way I felt when I read about Anthony Edwards and saw what he posted on his Instagram over the weekend. And if you didn't see it, he used a phrase that you shouldn't use uh, when looking at a bunch of people that was absolutely inappropriate in every possible way. And through this process, the team came out. Just and to a clarify, statement.
2: just to clarify, a group of a group of likely gay men were the people he was looking at. And the phrase he used was clearly homophobic, just in case anyone didn't see it.
1: Correct. And so if you watch the video, which has since been deleted, but you can't delete anything in social media, remember one thing. Remember the tone of Anthony Edwards' voice because tone matters when it comes to the apology. This is the apology that Edwards posted on Twitter saying, quote, what I said was immature, hurtful, and disrespectful, and I'm incredibly sorry. It's unacceptable for me or anyone to use that language in such a hurtful way. There's no excuse for it at all. I was raised better than that. This is such... A PR apology for something that demands realness in an opportunity Mm -hmm. to come out and say, Hey, I screwed up and I want to learn from it. The first thing you have to do is be transparent and real in that apology. When you come out with a statement that looks like, frankly, you didn't even write it, why am I supposed to believe that you actually regret what you said? And if you don't regret what you said, there is a huge problem. I don't care if you're 21 years old, I don't care if you're rich. I don't care where you came from. At some point, you can make a choice not to say hurtful things. You can make a choice not to be bigoted. You can make a choice not to decide, not to present this version of yourself. Anthony Edwards did everything wrong in his first video, and his apology is everything that's wrong because he didn't come out in an equally real video to tell us what he's learned, how he's going to make a difference, and how he's going to figure out that his words. Kurt, at some point, we've got to demand better in apologies, Sarah, if we're going to be asked to ever accept them.
2: I completely agree. And I want to say I also want to share some, I don't know what mine's called, Spain in the ass or something. But, but my <laughs> rant goes also to the NBA and to the Timberwolves and the way this has been handled because this has been buried. We did this 15 years ago. We did this 15 years ago with Tim Hardaway and the gay community. We did this with Kobe Bryant, who was fined massively for using the F slur. And here we are again in 2022. The fact that we even still have to have these conversations makes me irate. And the fact that there are people on social media saying, oh, I like him even more now makes me depressed and disappointed. But we need to stop treating homophobia as any different than any other bigotry and stop laughing it off or stop acting like it's not a huge deal because i'll tell you what if there was an nba player caught making a racist statement about people in this manner this would be a much bigger story and we need to take up for the queer community the same way we do for any marginalized community and i think it's embarrassing that it's been treated so uh so they're trying to just bury it i think that's really pathetic
1: There's a moment where you look at Lizzo earlier this year where she used a lyric in a song that she did not Mm -hmm. realize was going to be hurtful. When she found out, she came out and immediately said, guys, that's not who I am. I didn't know what I was doing. And she immediately changed the lyric. There was a moment there where you could look at it and say, hey, she handled it in such a real way that through that process, I think she actually gained respect from some people because, okay. not for what she said, but for how she handled it when she realized the power of what people, she said. a lesson for other people, for sure. Right. It's a, it's a th- lesson for how to do it. That's the opportunity that's lost for Anthony Edwards here, for the NBA here. There's just opportunity to step in and teach people, hey, this is why this is hurtful. This is why it's not Okay and here's how you can make a difference. And if anybody really felt like they gave a damn about learning and growing in that process, I would respect it much more.
2: Well, and I think the NBA has a chance in the future, and people who want to continue shining a light on this until more is done do have a chance to force them into that kind of action where we see actual growth. All right, uh, you got to rant about something. I want to just quickly rant about Brett Favre. We talked about this very briefly months ago when it first came out, this Mississippi Welfare Fund scandal that they've been investigating where it looked like there was a million dollars that was meant to go to families in need and instead was funneled in part to Brett Favre and in part to help fund a volleyball stadium at the school his daughter plays at, Southern Miss, uh, his alma mater and where she currently is. He has always claimed that he had no idea what was going on. Now there are text messages that reveal not only did he know, but he was hoping to make sure it could be covered up. Text messages that say, will the media find out That we're using well, they don't say that exactly. But he said, "If you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much?" He knew that he was taking money, well meant for some of the poorest residents of America's poorest states, and he got the government—I'm sorry, the governor—to help do this, and said, "Okay, good. I just needed to know that no one would be able to find out." Now, he claims he's repaid $1.1 that was reportedly given to him for motivational speeches that he didn't give. That was part of uh, federal temporary assistance for needy families. But another $5 million went to that volleyball stadium. He still owes over $200,000 in interest. He can still be taken to court by the state of Mississippi for not paying. And certainly, there is the effect on his reputation for making it clear that he didn't give a you-know-what about money that he was taking for a volleyball stadium at his alma mater instead of going to families. And I want to point out that Jennifer Sturger, whose life has forever been upended by a man she has never met who sexually harassed her and then she was outed by the media who mistreated her, myself included, as part of many who didn't take it seriously and assumed there was something going on there. She has the tweet of the year. She retweeted his text messages and said, oh, now he gets in trouble for inappropriate texts. (laughs) But she also posted a thoughtful thing about how much her life was turned upside down, how much she was betrayed by people, how much it impacted her self-worth and caused therapy and everything else. And that accountability culture is very different from cancel culture. And at some point, Brett Favre has to be held accountable for the many things that he's done and not just having a big arm.
1: When I saw this article today, Sarah, the first thing I did was I stopped and I read. And I, I, I don't say that because, you know, I'm toot my own horn. I say this because I think this is a lesson a lot of us need Sometimes when you see these things to have a full understanding of the impact you need to read as many articles as you can and what I learned through the process that you just covered brilliantly is how this impacted so many low-income families in a state that deals with that at a much higher level than anybody else. And when you start thinking about the actual consequence of the actions of a very, very famous, very, very wealthy football player that was trying to manipulate the system for his own advantage instead of trying to help the state that he lives in, he was actually hurting the state that he lives in. Mm -hmm. When you see it and you read it and you feel the impact, there's no excuse for it. And just like I just said with Anthony Edwards, I, I am waiting... At some point to hear from Brett Favre for some justification for what he's done and why he thought he would get away with it. There doesn't seem to be any, but no matter what he thought he was doing, it's apparent he was ripping off the state that supports him. And that is such an incredibly difficult thing to Mm -hmm. stomach for any of us that just wear our fandom. And you realize that you have to separate that for the human being.
2: All right, Fitz, you have one minute for a rant about the WNBA and the merch that I assume you were trying to get for free.
1: Look, no, I was trying to buy merch. <laughs> like, I'm going to the Aces Connecticut game on Thursday at, at Mohegan, and I want to be head-to-toe in Aces gear, which is hard to do because, let's face it, they don't sell a lot of Aces gear in Connecticut, right? So I go to all the different websites, including the Aces official sites, to see if I can get anything overnighted. My cheap ass was ready to overnight <laughs> gear to get it here, and they can't get it to me in time for me to be able to wear it Thursday for the game. I even called my buddy Q in Vegas and said, Oh, my God, can you help me figure out where to get aces gear from and the answer i got was man it's really hard to find and they're not responsive q great guy was willing to drive around town try and find stuff for me and overnight it to me but i didn't feel good about that so i'm gonna go to the game in my orange hoodie but the whole time i'm gonna be thinking damn it i should have been here in aces gear but you can't find it anywhere sarah you you have power you got to fix this
2: Okay, uh, I feel for you in the moment, but I also would like to suggest to you that at any point during the season, you could have ordered the gear. You didn't have to wait till a day before you were going to the game in person and then complain about somebody else's timeline not being okay.
1: Well, I mean, I got a t shirt, but it's not, it's hoodie weather up here now. I just wanted to zip up. I wanted to, Uh like, I wanted to spend $100 on an Aces hoodie. Like, think about that coming from me. Like, all right, we know one of
2: our listeners has got some Aces gear that they are happy to sell to you at a massive upgrade.
1: Look, I'm I'm hopeful that somehow somebody's going to be out in the Mohegan Sun parking lot just like hawking (laughs) Aces gear out of their trunk or something. Yeah, that, that's that's good. Now the sun definitely aren't going to want to uh, want me there at all. By the way, that game is tipping off in just mere minutes. We're going to get you caught up and set for everything you need to know leading into a huge game two of the WNBA Finals next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Mm-mm. We got some a, a wide array of music uh, on this evening's program. I am hearing via Maggie Hendricks, at Maggie Hendricks is where you can follow her. She does a great job of covering WNBA and a multitude of other things. Lil John apparently performing at halftime for this Aces Sun Game 2. Fitz, now you really wish you were there. You could be getting crunk, as they say. What? Is that what they still you say? You know, and
1: I was just like, I'd run out <laughs> onto the court with my fiddle and just like sit in oh, with yeah. him. It seems like that would work, right? Like
2: I can see that. I could see that mashup working out quite well, actually. Uh, I, I'm yeah. now craving that collab. I well,
1: want to I mean, see it. Uh, call me Little, and we'll get it done. And <laughs> little? Little yeah, John. Uh, call me yeah, Little well, John. No, we're just on first name, <laughs> so I just go Little with that. Like,
2: uh, not Lil? Not Lil? No, no, it's Little. Like, little. Yeah, no, it's okay, little. good. Yeah. It's Spain and Fitz. We have no street cred. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN <laughs> app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are very white. Facts. Uh, facts. 9 p.m. Eastern, so just a couple minutes here for the Sun and Aces. Game 2 of the WNBA Finals. Aces leading the series 1-0. And Fitz, I have to start by giving respect to the Sun. I will admit I thought that the Sky would take care of them, and they mucked it up. They made it messy. They got in the way of the free-flowing and, and, and fast-moving, fast-paced offense that the Sky could get in. They took away some of their weapons, and they put together an offense that was tough to stop. They gave themselves a lot of open looks. They dominated in the paint, and they advanced to the final against an Aces team that everybody thinks is going to run away with it. But they got real close to an upset in Game 1. And now the question for tonight is, was the way things went for the Aces in Game 1, lowest point total of the year, fifth worst shooting night of the year, second worst from beyond the arc of the year, were those an off night for the Aces, or did the sun cause that? And if that's the case, can they do just a little bit more to get a win tonight? Or is it proof that the Aces can win even when they don't shoot well?
1: I think at some point we have to start acknowledging that the the sun make everything ugly, right? Like that's just what they do. And that's what they did against Chicago. And, and frankly, I didn't think they'd be able to do it in game one. The most surprising stat to me was that the Aces literally had zero fast break points in game one. None. So if you'd have told me going into the game that the aces were not going to score a single point in transition on fast breaks and that Connecticut was going to score 12, I would be wildly shocked about that. Right? So there's just this moment where the punches came and it didn't really feel like Vegas was able to find an easy answer to it. That being said, I still think that there's just simply more talent. This isn't just about uh, Asia Wilson. This is also about Kelsey and Chelsea, right? Like, so uh, you you can look across the board and say Vegas has so many different uh, amazing shooters that can beat you any different night. As long as somebody comes through, but it's not that easy against this Connecticut team. They just, they know how to grind everything down and make it ugly. And and that was particularly the case in the fourth quarter of game one, where it felt like neither team was able to get any offensive rhythm. I'm really interested to see offensively what Becky Hammond draws up to try and get a better rhythm early in this game shooting.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Becky Hammond. There was a really fascinating article by Kevin Pelton on the dot .com, if people want to check it out before this game starts, about her use of zone and the WNBA going more to zone defense in ways that have not been seen lately, really getting into her strategy and how much success she's had in her first season. Worth mentioning, by the way, for those who don't know, fascinating twist here in this finals. Becky Hammond coaching the Aces. Her college coach, Kurt Miller, on the other side, coaching the Connecticut Sun. Uh, mm. She's she's basically said she's not letting it get to her. She wants to beat him, blah, blah, blah. But that's an interesting connection. Roz Gold-Awunde, our ESPN basketball analyst, uh, was on SportsCenter today talking Becky Ham to uh, specifically how she's got these aces playing so well in the postseason.
0: One way she's shined through these playoffs has been her execution of plays and clutch and endgame execution-type situations after timeout plays. I actually spoke with Asia Wilson about this, and Asia said it's Becky's composure. She's calm, so we're calm. Becky has a lot of relatability with the players, too. As a former player, they know she's been in the locker rooms they've been in, and they trust her to put them in good spots. Her demeanor is black and white, no gray area. She's going to hold you accountable, and the players want to play hard for her. So it's a combination of strategy and X's and O's and feel for the game and with the players.
2: Yeah, you could see it.
1: Yeah, it's working, and there's a buy-in that all of this requires too. I mean, we said at the time, and remember Bill Ambeer had some success as the head coach for the Aces when he was fired. Some people raised an eyebrow, but then you hire Becky Hammond for a million dollars a year. You still need your great players to step up and say, okay, we're going to buy into this system and the way it works. There's a bond for these women, and there's a bond for them with their coach that I think is, is particularly special. And when you when you factor that in with even when you go back to the last series when the Aces lost on the last play of one of the games, it was a great draw. It, it was a great draw. It, it, it was the right look. Like it feels like she puts them constantly in the best situation to make their open shots. question is just, you know, you live and die by it. Can you hit those open looks? But they get them constantly because of Becky Hammond's work.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, getting you ready for Sun Aces. 9 p.m. Eastern tip for that one. And Fitz, we talked about heading into the postseason, concerns about the potential depth of the Aces. This is a team with some really good star power up top. Chelsea Gray, a.k.a. Chelsea Dagger, has The literally, I think it's the number one shot efficiency in the history of the NBA or the WNBA through the games of the postseason. And they're not gimmies. They are contested shots, really tough looks, and she's been crushing it. And Asia Wilson, when you talk about why the depth has not come into play here, you look at something like that, that Vegas Seattle four game series that led to this final. She only got four minutes of rest in (laughs) all four games and overtime combined. When you have a superstar defensive player of the year, MVP, who, by the way, doing as much as she has this young in her career is unbelievable, and she only needs four minutes of rest for that, that's how you escape depth issues, is you just get superstars that can go.
1: Well, and when you equate it to the NBA side, like defensively she's as disruptive as Draymond is, and offensively she's as dominant as KD is right now, and that's – When you're putting all of that together, I just don't know how you stop that. And we've seen her ability to rise uh, in every single game. The Aces have had to win close game after close game, especially at home. And, you know, you think about what it's required to do in that. They have asked her to give more every single time. And she has another gear. It's really sensational to watch. Like You're watching the best of the best rise up in the best moments. That's going to be the unforgettable part of this. If the Aces are able to win a championship, the, the most important part of this story, I think a decade from now, won't be Becky Hammond. It'll be that we watched Asia Wilson do this at this stage, at this level, when everybody knows what's coming and you just can't stop it. That's a level of elite you rarely see.
2: I think maybe. I think maybe you're right. I think Asia Wilson certainly looks like she could be one of the greatest of all time at the pace that she's starting out at. But I also think Becky Hammond and what she's doing has a whole lot of people talking about her potential in the NBA. And that could be a groundbreaking thing uh, as much as she's getting paid and likes her spot with the Aces. There is some potential horizon for that that could be really game-changing. Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, Sun Aces. You can check that out. Becky Hammond taking on her old coach, Kurt Miller. And Asia Wilson looking to continue really setting a new pace in the WNBA just a couple years into her career. By the way, I also wanted to note, as we're talking, Aaron Judge just hit his 56th home Woo! run. Fifty-six. Woo! So we'll be keeping an eye on that in the days to come as well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN radio and on the ESPN app.